Welcome back to another Food for Thought, a bonus show of the Pipes Magazine radio show. And thank you to SmokingPipes.com, Missouri Meersham, Cornell and Deal, and Savinelli Pipes for their continued sponsorship. We're able to keep doing these, and uh, maybe you know, maybe this one will. Um, this one affects everybody that listens, so there's there's no getting out of it. You all have a family of some sort. You came from somewhere. You didn't just magically show up. We're talking ancestry and uh, family trees, and we're uh, and and so my wife is deeply into this, but she said no, you need a better expert at it than me. So, Stephanie Wyatt, welcome and thanks for doing this. Well, thank you for having me, Brian. I look forward to talking about how to build a family tree. Yeah. All right. So first, let's get let's get to know you a little bit. How did you get interested in your in genealogy? I think I've always been interested. We never lived near family. My father was in the military. And so um, hearing the family stories um, from afar, from other countries, were um, something that was just always very important to me. And then learning that my father was adopted, um, it made me want to find out more, um, not only about our family roots from his adoptive family, but also his biological roots. So I started doing... um, genealogy and specifically genetic genealogy and um, have not stopped since that was about 11 years ago now when you started was it were the uh, the the little spit in the tube tests that you get at home and mail in were those around or did you start doing it the old-fashioned way so I had done some old-fashioned genealogy work at courthouses and libraries um, but there was some genetic genealogy available and I I came in at the forefront of that autosomal uh, DNA technology. All right. So I know, I think I know what you're talking about because I hear stuff and sometimes I listen. Um, <laughs> break it down for us. What is, what is the autosomal whatever that was? Okay. So um, we often hear about the Y chromosome and the X chromosome. And um, for a few more years, there have been genetic tests available for testing your Y uh, or for a male testing his Y chromosome. And that's the surname gene where it follows the father's, 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 father's line, etc. And then the uh, mitochondrial DNA, um, that is the mother's, mother's, mother's line. But the autosomal DNA tests that came out um, a little over a decade ago, those cover everything, all of your lines, your dad's mom's dad's mom, or your mom's mom's dad's dad, um, all of the lines in between. It basically looks at all of the other chromosomes, 1 through 22, plus um, your two copies of your X for a female or your X, um, one copy of an X for a male. So are you and, say, wait, are you saying that we're missing one, that I'm missing one? <laughs> No, oh, no, okay. not at all. You just have a Y, and um, the autosomal DNA tests don't look at the Y. So. Okay, so th- so that gets really, I mean, that gets really detailed. And from is that the one where you can also tell kind of like your ancestral, you know, where where your people were from and your 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 yeah. cultural stuff? So yeah, tell us about that. Yeah, so your your family, where they came from, what country they originated in, or what region of the world they originated in, that's called admixture. Um, and your family can actually do tests that are specifically looking at admixture to see um, what countries um, they may have come from before. 
But the important thing to remember if you are specifically looking for a certain admixture is that our families moved a lot and borders Mm. changed um, (laughs) throughout history. And so while you may have been told you were 100% German, the borders of Germany were very fluid for hundreds of years. Um, So you may not see that reflected right away. And the databases are only as good as the number of people in them that they can take that information from. So try to keep that in mind when you're looking at admixture or what country am I from? So that and that's also kind of where somebody with an Italian last name who grew up being Italian finds out, no, I'm actually, you know, 70 percent British, Welsh, whatever, and only 30 percent Italian. Absolutely. And Italian is um, very hard uh, for genetic genealogy because there just aren't enough people in the databases. Um, so if you're Italian, please get out and test. <laughs> we, we need more Italians spitting in tubes. Yes, yes please. <laughs> Mail it in. Yeah. Not, not Italians that live in New York City that just spit on the streets. We need them in tubes. <laughs> yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> All right, so how do you how do you suggest somebody gets started? What do they need to do if they if they want to start building their their family tree? So the first thing I would do is talk to your oldest living relative. Um, so if that's your parents or your grandparents, um, and if it's just an older sibling, maybe that has more memory than you might have, but just go and find that oldest living relative and talk to them and write down your family stories. Um, Learn names as much as you can, nicknames, um, maiden names of women, and try and gather all that data before you get started with a computer. And then I would recommend using a family tree software program. I personally like Ancestry.com, but there are many other programs out there. Um, FamilySearch.org is another one that has a free tree available. Um, But you can create a tree. And add your father and your mother and your siblings. Most of these tree programs, if the person is living, they are privatized. So someone else that sees your tree won't be able to see the living people on your tree. So don't write anything in the death box if the person is living or else the computer program thinks that they are deceased. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kind of problematic. (laughs) I have seen trees that say not yet in the death box but then you can see the living person's birth date um (laughs) so don't do that um for women something that i often see is people will put the woman in the tree under her married name or she might have multiple last names depending on how many times she was married um it's important to try to keep a woman on a family tree with her maiden name That way for future generations, there's less confusion about what her name was at birth versus what it was after she was married once or twice or three times. That makes sense because you you want to find out where she's from, not who she's going to. Absolutely. Now, a lot of these programs, if you don't know an exact year of birth, if you can give them a hint like, oh, great grandma was this many years old when I was about this many years old, she was probably born in whatever year. My great-grandmother was born in 1899, the one that I knew. Um, And so I will always say, oh, 1899. And if I didn't know, I could say around 1900. And so for me, they would be able to pull up Bertha Lidke and um, Ancestry would give me some hints for my great-grandma Bertha. Wow. 
And those ancestry hints are based off of other people that may have put stuff in as well. So you, you, you kind of, you, you get some support from them and, and helps and hints. Yes. And that is available to people who are members. Anytime you sign up with Ancestry, you can um, become a member for free for the first 30 days. And that means you can usually get a pretty decent tree started. But you can also use other programs and keep your tree there, but not utilize the hints. And so if there's a period of time where I don't have um, a subscription at that moment, just because of what <laughs> life has handed to us, um, there are other programs out there like FamilySearch.org where you can still go reference census documents and other immigration documents um, to put on your family tree and help you further your research. Not to mention you can look at um, records at the library and often libraries will have online subscriptions to Ancestry.com. Um, and don't forget to take advantage of family history libraries that um, if you have a Church of Latter-day Saints in your local community, they may have a history center that has a, um, some availability for you to research further. Yeah, when my wife started, we were living in Las Vegas and she was going to the to the Mormon library and searching people. It's a the old-fashioned way um how how far back have you built your family tree oh goodness that's an interesting question um it depends on the line some lines i've gotten further than others so on some lines some early american um northeast colonial lines i've been back to the 1600s and wow. then on other lines um i have brick walls that I can't break past um, when they go to Germany. And there are just so many common surnames um, there that I haven't been able to get more data. And that's, um, some of those are even in the 1800s. Yeah, that's, wow. that's, um, that's my, that's my wife's problem with my family of Jewish heritage is the brick wall that happens when you get back to the old country and all the wars and destruction and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. uh, it just ends. It, it stops. You don't know any further. Uh, have you found anybody interesting on your own personal tree that you want to talk about? You know, I would say the interesting people that I've found have been my biological grandparents. I've wanted to learn more about them um, my whole life. Just I had my father's adoptive parents were wonderful people and um, were the rock in some very difficult times in my life. But that didn't stop me from wanting to know more about my father's biological roots. So learning about some of the hardships that his parents experienced um, and his grandparents experienced and going to the small towns where they were from and walking in their footsteps. Um, those were the things that were um, most interesting to me. My father's biological mother's family owned a hardware store in a small town in Missouri. And I was able to go and visit the hardware store and see the history, see the old walls, touch the old doors, yeah. um, and walk in, in, in their shoes in a building that they spent a significant portion of their time in. Um, and I would say that that was most touching to me. I was, uh, well, we have an ad from it, but I was able to go to the building in Kansas City 
where my dad's parents had a grocery store downstairs and an apartment upstairs and I walked and knocked on the door of this building and the people let me in and I told them what was going on and started talking to them. Next thing I know, I'm upstairs in the apartment area where my grandparents lived and then my grandfather lost the store when he got drafted into World War II. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's kind of the fun stuff. Um, yeah. Going back to people getting started with doing their own trees, what else do they need to know? Uh, you know, what, 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 what hints and clues can you give people to get started? And maybe you can also explain this once removed and half twice cousins and uh, that weird stuff. Yeah. So as I was saying before, having all of the data in front of you written down is important. Um, and I would say that it's important to always research what um, hints are provided to you. If you do choose to use a software program um, like Ancestry.com um, to make sure that you verify everything. Because just because someone else has it in their tree or just because Ancestry search algorithms say that you should look at this document doesn't necessarily mean that you should add it to your family tree. Um, making sure that we document our ancestors appropriately helps keep um, incorrect trees from being merged and it helps save these family stories um, two people who have very similar names living in the same town um, have very different stories and, and most certainly aren't the same people so we want to make sure that we keep them separated um, so that 200 years from now um, our descendants will know who we are yeah so i think that's important you touched on once removed. Um, I, I talk to people pretty frequently about some family tree work that I do on, um, regularly. And I have to explain once removed. I, I think it's funny. I've always thought um, when I was growing up that my dad's first cousins were my second cousins. <laughs> and, then I, and then I started doing um, genealogy work and I realized that wow, my dad did not know everything um, <laughs> because he was very wrong that his first cousins were not my second cousins. His first cousins are my first cousins once removed. And my children are my dad's first cousins, um, first cousin twice removed. So that relationship from my children to my dad's first cousin is a first cousin twice removed. And I think sometimes we don't always um, – refer to people in that correct terminology and maybe at a family reunion it's not so important but when we're doing family tree work um, if you don't understand those simple terms it can make um, things a little bit more confusing later and that and that just helps identify the distance between generations correct so or the it does. yeah it does in fact and it's most important if you're going to begin doing any type of genetic genealogy. Um, even if it's just you wanted to spit in a tube and see where you came from, um, those genetic distances between individuals um, impact the DNA and how it passes down through the generations. So on average, we share half of our DNA um, that our, our parents give us one copy of each of their chromosomes. So half of us is from our dad and half is from our mom and full siblings. We share about half, um, and so forth. But from there, one generation back, it, it halves. And so with every step, the DNA halves. And so 
taking a once removed relationship definitely impacts the amount of shared DNA between two individuals. Um, so it's important to document and to keep in mind um, if you're doing genetic genealogy. And I think if I understand it correctly, it, it also kind of helps you uh, build your tree correctly because it allocates generational changes or age differences correctly because second cousins should be uh, should share great grandparents if I remember right right and the yeah. easy trick for that is to count the G's so second cousins great grandparents there's two G's Ooh. Um, and that is correct so um, sometimes it gets complicated when you're like how many greats and how many cousins does that make so if you just count the G's on your way back um, one for every great and then one for the word grandparent, um, you can determine the relatedness. And then if you do count on both sides of a family tree, you can, and there's four G's on one side, but five G's on the other, you can tell that that is a fourth cousin one time removed because there's one extra step on the one side. Wow. And they would share great, great, great grandparents on one side. Yeah. Okay. And and then there's also, I guess, uh, because of multiple marriages and sometimes half siblings and stuff, you end up with half cousins and partial cousins. I don't. I, I don't know how to. I don't even know how to ask this question. Yeah. Um, they definitely impact the DNA that's passed down, um, and I think it's important that we document those correctly. Even if there's an adoption situation by a step parent um, who becomes the the legal parent, um, I think it's important that we document that adoption within the family um, so that for future generations we can trace that. Um, because I don't think that genetic genealogy is going away. I think that no. um, more and more people are using um, genetic genealogy now, even people who traditionally have focused on um, traditional genealogy. And and secrets are coming out of the closet fast and furious <laughs> on a regular basis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah so. that has, um, that, there's a whole special group out there of people. Um, and actually, the way that I know your wife is through a group called DNA Detectives, where we all work together to help people unravel the mysteries of their DNA. And sometimes it means that, you know, there's an adoption or some type of misattributed parentage in their family. But I think that we should all try and document those to the best of our abilities. And you are what they call a search angel? Were you? I am. Yeah. All right. So I what? Been, what is that? Well, I've been a search angel for um, 11 years. And um, I started out doing traditional search angel work. So using documents that adoptees can receive from the state, um, such as non-identifying information, occasionally an original birth certificate, and then tracing the families back to help identify um, the correct biological relatives so that they could make contact with their family. Um, and then I heard about genetic genealogy and started working with CC Moore um, way back um, on Yahoo groups wow. and learned more and more about genetic genealogy and tested myself um, and has began helping others right away using the, the techniques that C.C. Moore pioneered um, so that 
you know, we could get this field of genetic genealogy off the ground. And it's been an exciting ride ever since. So um, around here, there's a couple of TV shows that we watch regularly. One of them is uh, Finding Your Roots, and it's through PBS, which I think you can find on one of them streaming things occasionally. Um, and then recently, we've been watching CeCe's show, the, the Genetic Detective, that's been on ABC. Um, and those are, are those fairly accurate to, I mean, kind of the research and the process? Okay. Absolutely. Um, there are dedicated researchers, um, from what I hear, that work on um, finding your roots to make sure that the information that they present on the show are, is quite accurate. And when the paper trail runs out there, which sometimes it does, um, the DNA can bring it all together um, and connect families. So that's one of my favorite shows as well. And then, of course, the last six weeks, um, every Tuesday night, I've been glued to my TV to watch <laughs> The Genetic Detective. Um, and see the magic that is worked by Parabon and C.C. Moore um, to find criminals using investigative genetic genealogy. Are are there any other any other shows uh, that you can recommend? Um, you know there are a lot of shows. People are watching Genealogy Roadshow um, and, and things like that. I prefer um genetic genealogy myself um so i don't watch as many of the other regular genealogy shows but rather just the ones that deal with genetic genealogy and and just kind of going back to the search angel stuff has there been any any fun stories that you've dug up or worked on or and, and keep and keep the names nondescript so that we don't uh, <laughs> so that we don't impugn the uh, the innocent here I received um, an email from someone they had seen within a Facebook group that I commented that I would assist someone. And this lady saw that comment and said, you know what, I'm going to reach out and ask um, if she can help me. So we'll call this lady Anna. So Anna reaches out and she says, hi, um, my Mother and father were married, but had um, somewhat of an open relationship. And it, I don't believe that my father is my father. My brother and I show up as half-siblings on a recent DNA test. I think I know who my father is. Can you help me? And I said, sure. Um, so I took a peek at her tree. I explained that I was traveling, but I would try to look briefly and see what I could see, and then I would get back with her later. Um, that evening, I got access to her ancestry DNA results and the family tree that she had built for um, a gentleman that she believed to be her biological father. He was a close friend of the family. And it didn't add up. <laughs> Anna had some very close matches who had private unsearchable trees. And so basically I couldn't find their trees anywhere. I wasn't able to look them up. Um, but there were no hints. It wasn't saying that her tree was connecting to their tree. Um, in addition to that, she had some matches that connected to this man's um, biological tree. However, they were all in the fifth to eighth cousin range, so very distant. Usually someone um, in that range shares um, 10 to 20 centimorgans. A centimorgan is just a, a fancy word. It's a unit of measure, but 
Um, that's very little DNA considering how much you should share with someone that's a first or second cousin. So I quickly called her back and I said, you know, Anna, I'm sorry, but this, this gentleman is not your father. There is someone else that must be, um, and I can work on that, but I'm traveling right now and I will get back with you, um, early next week. And so she was quite shocked, um, and had to overcome the emotions that went along with that because she did believe that this man was her father, um, considering the close relationship that their family had. But we were able to move forward, and um, I was eventually able to identify her biological father. Funny thing, she, she reached out. There's two brothers. One was deceased and one was living. And in researching one of the brothers, we learned that this man worked at the same location that her parents both worked, in fact. And I thought, well, goodness gracious, he worked there. They worked together. The other guy didn't work there. Um, so this, uh, we didn't know if it was a broom closet relationship or, um, <laughs> or what, because there yeah. had been no overlap of the families that she was aware of. So she reaches out to this gentleman. And he, she said he, he had the TV on loud and she said, um, you know, did you work with my mother? And he said, yes, we were friends. And, um, so she explained the situation and that she had worked with a search angel to identify her biological father's family. And that, um, through multiple family lines, we were led to the marriage of, of his parents. Um, and so unless there was some other double first cousin relationship, it seemed most likely that he or his brother, um, was her biological father. And he said, Oh, well, I knew your mom very well, but I didn't know her in that way. Um, <laughs> oh, no. and we thought, well, that's odd, but maybe he just doesn't want to admit to it until after, um, a DNA test. And so he freely admitted that, um, you know, that he knew her and he was willing to do a DNA test to prove that he was not her father, um, that there was no way that he could be. So fast forward six or eight weeks, and the DNA test comes in, and sure enough, he is her uncle, and he only had <laughs> one brother, so it must have been him. Um, unfortunately, the brother was deceased, um, and he was also married at the time, but the family has welcomed her with open arms. Um, apparently, this was not his first um, escapade, so the family was aware, but she has been able to um, know more about her biological family, uh, her biological father's family and his roots, um, all from a quick look at a family tree. And she has become a good friend of mine since. Wow. Yeah. So I guess sometimes when you're working with these, with these people that you're doing some searches for, you've got to be, you got to be ready for some real highs and real lows. Yes, absolutely. You never know what you're going to get. Sometimes um, the family was very welcoming, like in her case, um, and there have been definitely some times where people have not been as welcoming. Um, in my father's case, for example, his biological mother um, does not admit that she had children. Um, so that's been a struggle for him. Um, wow. But we recognize that, um, that we're all adults and she deserves to have privacy if that's what she wishes. So we wish her well. Yeah. And we all can't find out that Thomas Jefferson is our great, 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 great uncle either. Yes, absolutely. I think that everyone who does DNA testing, should you decide to um, start looking at your family tree and building back, is know that there are skeletons in the closet. And if you're not um, comfortable <laughs> with those possibly falling out, that maybe you should not um, 
do any type of genealogy or genetic genealogy work. Can you explain one more term and then we'll uh, term for me and then we'll wrap this up because this is the one that gets tossed around this house a lot and I want you to clarify it for everybody, but it's endogamy. Oh, endogamy. So um, endogamy is typically used when we're talking about a group of people who historically have um, married within their own group of people. Um, This may be because that was their religious beliefs to only marry within their religion. Um, But it's more than just one overlap of a family tree, but rather um, for generations. So not two cousins a couple generations back got married to second cousins one time, but multiple cousins marrying multiple cousins, not even realizing their cousins three and four generations back. Um, and that type of endogamy, although it's small, depending on the DNA test that you take and, and their algorithms, um, sometimes those tiny segments of shared DNA from hundreds of years ago that occur multiple times in your tree, yeah. um, they add up to what appears to be a much closer relationship. Um, we also see endogamy um, in in some island cultures because the the island is only so big so if you lived on that same if your family lived on the same island in a small community for hundreds of years um eventually your cousins are going to intermarry um but those are typically widespread throughout your family tree and not um something that has occurred just in the last couple of generations and we're not talking like the standard, like the standard West Virginia joke of first cousins. You know, you go to you go to a family reunion to meet your next wife. We're talking about yeah, a little bit more distant than that, because in uh, in, in somebody that I know really uh, really well, his, uh, found out his parents are actually like fifth to seventh cousins relationship to each other, and that person might be me. Uh, yeah. And there are tools out there to help you sort out if there is um, some closer um, overlap between your parents. If you choose to do any um, genetic genealogy testing, there's a website called GEDmatch, G-E-D-M-A-T-C-H. And you can upload your raw DNA from whatever testing company you download it from. And um, you can see if your parents are related using a tool called Are Your Parents Related? <laughs> well, that's a <laughs> really complicated. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad they named it something really deceiving. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so there, um, that tool can be helpful to determine whether your parents were in fact related because sometimes they were if you, um, if you don't know your dad's biological roots. Yeah, and and in my case, I'm not related to a famous baseball player. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, thank you very much for coming on and doing this. And uh, DNA Detectives is on Facebook, so if anybody's interested, they can go in there. And, and if you get out of control, my wife's a moderator, so I'll find out about you. Um, <laughs> just Or an admin or whatever she's called. I don't know, but just be just be kind but uh thanks again for coming on thanks for explaining some of this stuff to us and um you know hopefully we'll see you again somewhere because we we saw you in las vegas th- yeah, earlier this year it was year. a pleasure to be here brian and yeah. and thanks for having me and thanks for covering this fantastic topic it's one of my favorites and i look forward to working with dale for a while 
And thanks again to SmokingPipes.com, Missouri Mearsham, Cornell and & Deal, and Savinelli Pipes. And uh, that's just been some food for thought.